Well, good morning, Victory Midtown. How are you all? Doing great. Oh, no, you got to give me some more. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. If you were saying good morning to me, that would be totally cool. But we understand that we are in the presence of the living God. Listen, before I go any further, I just have to take a pastoral privilege and just thank our praise, our worship team, our musicians, our production team. Dr. King calls this group of people the ground crew. He calls them the ground crew because so often they're felt but not seen. And I'll tell you, we can't make any of this happen without those who labor amongst us. So to every volunteer that's a part of that ground crew too, I just want to tell you thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we've been on a journey this summer, and we've been on a journey this month as we have focused on Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And this week, we're approaching the home stretch of our series entitled The Golden Rule. And as you recall, especially if you were here last week, if you saw any of the clips, we understand that our entire thought process in this series is due unto others. Do unto others. Now, the thing about that, and you know this, is that the golden rule doesn't just appear out of thin air. And in particular, this is so important, this notion of doing unto others, because it's in the context of judging others. In fact, the golden rule is attached to one of the most popular scriptures known to man. Everybody knows it, from the wino to your mama and them. And this one particular scripture that everybody knows because everybody uses it is found in Matthew 7.1. You ready for it? It goes a little something like this. Do not judge. Can you say that one time? Do not judge. Oh, say it with your chest. Good class. Again, this particular scripture, do not judge. Everybody knows about it. Everybody says it, even if they don't know where to find it in the scriptures. And the reality of it is because everybody has heard it at least once in their lives. I think, honestly, some of us, especially when we're doing the things that we want to do that we don't want anybody to tell us about that we're doing, we kind of throw that out there like Tupac. Only God can judge me. But the reality is this. In a culture of acceptance, in a culture of tolerance, in a culture that tells us we can do anything we want to do, when we say do not judge or that only God can judge us, we've got to be careful because we can teeter on a slippery slope where we give anything and everything and everybody a pass to do whatever they want to do. Today, as we delve into the golden rule, what I want you to understand is this. We've got a little bit of a juxtaposition going on. And the reason why we have a little bit of a juxtaposition going on is because both Christians and non-Christians alike, we stand on our side of the faith line and we throw bombs at each other. See, the good Christians, we always want to say, you're going to hell. But on the other side, those non-Christians say, well, you're a hypocrite. 
See, you good Christians, not you, but your auntie and them. They say, well, you're a sinner. And then the non-Christian yields back, but you're judgmental. And what happens in this fight and this war of words is that we're actually canceling each other out because you believe one thing as a Christian, a non-believer believes another thing, and the reality of the situation is simply this. In those war of words, we forget the golden rule. See, when we look at Matthew 7, verses 1 through 12, it says this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that was in your eye? Anybody was here last week for that message? Listen, my baby daddy preached that thing. Listen, and I want to tell you, he had a happy birthday for all my married folks. Amen. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All the singles, when you're no longer mingling and you marry and put a ring on it, we'll tell you about the happy birthdays. You feel me? I digress. I apologize. Let me get back to the word of God. <laughs> Again, why are you looking at this, this plank that you have in your own eye? The scripture goes on to say this. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly how to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Listen to this. Do not give dogs that which is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks you for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Amen? Amen. Now hear me. The reality of this passage of scripture is this. Jesus does not say to judge. He just says the way you judge is how you will be judged. So you better do it right. Again, judge how you want to be judged. And last week we dealt with judgment as it relates to others, other Christians. So last week we dealt with judgment for us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we understand that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we do have a responsibility. We must be accountable to call each up higher. Meaning you do no good. You do a disservice to your brother or sister in Christ when you see them sinning, when you see them falling, and you turn. Thanks, friend. (laughs) Listen, you better get you an encouragement squad. (laughs) 
does you no good if you see a friend sinning and you let them wallow there. See, most of us who backslidden, we backslid on the hills of silent Christians watching us go straight back to hell. So the reality of the, of the situation is this. We're not supposed to judge each other in a harsh way, but we are supposed to call each other back up. And so in this scripture, we've got a little bit of a flip the script. Because whereas last week we were judging each other and we're called to do that, this week, we're looking at how we as believers, how we as Christians judge the world. And see, some of you, when I said today we're going to be focusing on judging the world, you got happy. So slow down, happy Henrique. Before you go and text somebody and be like, oh, you need to stream right now, I want you to think about yourself. Can we be honest in this sanctified church? See, I want to be the first to admit that oftentimes as believers, if we are guilty of something, we are guilty or have been guilty of terrorizing more people away from the good news of Jesus Christ than we have evangelized people towards the good news of Jesus Christ. See, we always want to look at the terrorist that's in a foreign country. But what about the terrorist sitting on your row who's trying to tell you you're not doing the things of Christ right? Yeah. Or what about the terrorist at that church that you left because you had church hurt and now you've been away from the things of God for six months and God is saying, I have need of you, son. I have need of you, daughter, right now. Let's get it together. I get it. Y'all don't like what I'm saying. Y'all looking at me in this tone of voice like, but hear me, our job is not to judge the world. Our job is to evangelize the world when opportunity presents itself. Why are we not to judge the world? The reason why we're not to judge the world is because sometimes the world is confused about what we believe as Christians. See, we have spent so much time in this politicized society talking about what we're against, so much so that people don't really know what we're for anymore in the body of Christ. See, on the one side of the spectrum, you have what I call the Christian Karens. They just do too much. You heard my husband last week. He said, mind your business, mind your business, mind your business. But who are these Christian Karens? These are the people who are on one side of the faith fence. They're boycotting and they're picketing while they eat their Chick-fil-A talking about God hates the gays. But on the other side of the faith fence, you have the do-nothing Dorethas. These are the people who are so concerned over comfort, they won't go and engage in the Great Commission. These are people who are so desirous to be accepted, they won't say anything in fear of being canceled. Yeah, yeah. And what happens with these two diametrically opposed groups who are supposed to be serving and worshiping the same God is that we confuse the world because they're like, well, who are you? Yeah. All the while, God is saying this. I never called Karen or Doretha or you to judge the world. Yeah. It is not our job 
to judge the world. Listen, we don't get to judge the world, y'all. That's God's job. And for everybody in this room, myself included, who's ever been judged in error by a Christian, you know the damage that does to your psyche and your soul. So if you have damage, if you even have healed scar tissue from being judged in error from another Christian, that's why you should be slow to speak about the world. That's why you should be quick to forgive when sinners sin. Our job isn't to judge the world. Kendra's not saying it. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, 12 through 13. He says this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? You hear me online? Again, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are, are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. And again, we know from last week, our call, our mandate, even when we engage in judging, is to exercise righteous judgment. See, righteous judgment leads in grace. Righteous judgment gives the benefit of the doubt. Righteous judgment is desirous of restoration. We, when we judge, we have to engage in righteous judgment. Why? We're not in the condemning and persecuting business. We're in the restoring and good news business. If all we did was judge sinners, we would circumvent what it says in John 3, 16. For God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's good news, y'all. There's more good news that says this, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Good news. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Good news. But to save the world through him. More good news. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Good news. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they haven't believed in the Son of God. So if God knows that those who don't acknowledge him are condemned until they acknowledge him, what do we look like running around, you condemned, you condemned, you condemned, you condemned. Oh, by the way, you condemned too. But all the while, we want to say we serve a loving, righteous, holy, kind God. Follow me. Today, what I'm saying to us is this. We have an opportunity, and the opportunity is to be those who grab, who understand, who fully digest all of the tenets of the golden rule so that we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. See, I know y'all are looking at me like, well, aren't we supposed to judge? Righteous judgment. Do we judge the world? No. But I want to take you back to before you came into here, before you gave your life to Christ. But yet, let me just use me as an example. See, when I was lost and I stepped away from all the things I knew that my grandmother taught me and raised me in in terms of the things of the Lord, when I went to college and especially when I went to grad school, listen, I was chief center among them all. 
I know y'all looking at me like, you don't look like you know how to turn up. Be careful about the introverts. You know those silent, I'm not gonna call you sneaky, but you know what I'm saying, the introverts. You be raising your hand on Sunday and you know, I'm gonna leave it right there. But when I was lost, the lovingest thing a Christian did for me was to walk around me, walk alongside me, love me to repentance without judging me, but holding me accountable. Hear me, and don't, don't take this arrogantly. I don't need the clap of applause. I'm telling you, when I was lost, when I said I would never step in the foot of a church again in my life, ever, when my Bible was so dusty, some of y'all have heard this before, you could write my name in it because I hadn't opened it in two years. When I thought, hey, I'm going to get all the way into intellectualism, and I almost had a nervous breakdown trying to get a PhD at 25 years of old, when I was lost, God sent believers who could love me through my sin, walk with me in my sin, hold me accountable, not judge me, but point me towards the living God. And what it did is it let me know that God is real, not the standards of man. See, if we operate in the standards of men, then I shouldn't be up here preaching right now. So we've got to be careful about what it is that we feel like we're supposed to do. So again, when I'm saying do not judge the world, what I'm saying is remember the old you. The old, old you. Not the regenerate you that slipped. Not the I'm going to get baptized. The old you, the cheating you, the lying you, the conniving you, the arrogant you, the prideful you, the conning you, the magic city you. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the two-timing you, the cheat on your tax you. I got two baby mamas in two different cities. I'm going to ride this thing out until I figure out which one I want you. The you that lied on your resume, and that's why you can't get a job right now because you need to go back and get your college degree. Brought to you by Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. The you that hates you. Because you can only see the you that God hasn't redeemed you. The you that feels like you're a failure you. The you that they molested and they violated you. And God keeps saying, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me, cast your cares. But you want to hold it, that you, that's 28 and still stuck you. I'm telling you, we're not here to judge each other. I'm telling you from personal experience, I know a real and living Savior who walks with me and talks with me and filled me with his Holy Spirit that gives me holy boldness because the introvert in me wouldn't be up here without his anointing on my life. That's the you that God wants to get to. So when we're talking about how do we bring lost people to a loving God, let's remember that old you, that old me, 
that but for the blood of Jesus, but for I surrender all, where would we be? So how do we bring lost people to a loving God? We've got to be like Jesus. Jesus understood the assignment, so we must understand the assignment. It's kingdom over culture, y'all. It is absolutely, unequivocally, flat-footed, kingdom over culture. And I just want to say this. I applaud each and every one of you who have given Victory Church a try. Because if you're like my husband and I, you grew up in a traditional black megachurch. And I will tell you that when I first came to Victory, I was like, what, what is this sound? And thank y'all for all your DMs telling me, could we get another gospel song? I've heard you. (laughs) But when you join the kingdom, you give up the right to think about yourself. But it's kingdom over culture. And Jesus understood the assignment. See, everywhere Jesus went, from Galilee to Samaria, he offered the good news through healing, through deliverance, through forgiveness. He understood the assignment. However, Jesus also knew when he wasn't received. That's why he said, a prophet is without honor, save in his hometown. Jesus also understood the assignment, and that's why he sent the disciples two by two. And he said, if they don't receive you, shake your Air Max 95. Okay, that's the Kendra interpretation. Shake them. He said, if they don't receive you, shake the dust off of your sandals and keep it moving. What am I getting at? Jesus knew when he was going to be received, and he blessed, he healed, he delivered, he set free. But he also discerned when he was encountering hard hearts. That's why he stayed silent when King Herod questioned him. Jesus says we must understand the assignment. And I'm telling you because for some of you this week, you're going to go on the mission field and you're not going to be received well. So I want you to hear now what Jesus said then. Matthew 7, 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, They may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. See, historically, when we're talking about dogs in the Bible, we're not talking about your cute little chihuahua that you got the nice wardrobe for. You know, the one you bought the little penthouse, a doggy shelter. You know, the dog that you plan all your vacations around. You know the dog that eats better than you because you got to get them organic, grass-fed food. See, people tell Mona all the time, Maximus needs a pet. Maximus needs a little dog. And we're like, "Mm mm-mm, there's enough dogs in his condo. He can have a dog every day of the week. (laughs) Roof, roof. (laughs) So I'm not talking about those cute dogs. I'm not even talking about your big dogs. You know, some of y'all got pits and you breed them. Some of y'all have, like, you know, those huge dogs that be walking you. (laughs) Not talking about those domesticated dogs of today. See, Pastor Johnson and Pastor Summer, they have little wiener dogs, you know, and they love their little wiener dogs. Not talking about those dogs. So don't be offended. 
but I'm talking about the dogs back in biblical days that they called vicious attackers, the dogs that they called wild marauders, dogs that would terrorize towns and devour animals, dogs that were unclean that everyone knew to stay away from. Those are the types of dogs Jesus is saying, do not give to dogs what is sacred. Do not cast your pearls the wisdom of God, the sacredness of God, the treasures of God. Do not cast your pearls, not them cheap Target 599 pearls. I ain't knocking them because I lose jewelry all the time. So when I need something quick, Target is the place. So I'm not knocking them, but he's not talking about those 599. Well, Target, they're probably 1299. Let's tell the truth and shame the devil. Target is not cheap. Target. But we're not talking about those types of pearls. We're talking about the wisdom, the sacraments of God. He's saying, do not cast your pearls to swine. Why? Swine, biblically and even today, is recognized as unclean. Seen a lot of different faiths, the Jewish faith, faith in particular, many do not partake of eating swine. Now, the black faith, faith, you know, going back to slavery, we had to eat whatever we could eat. But he's saying, don't give your sacredness to that which is unclean clean. And here's what Jesus is saying in this passage of scripture. If we're not careful to slow down and discern who we're supposed to share the gospel to, what happens is that we'll sprinkle out this precious holy truth and we think we're doing the good thing and the right thing because we're called to evangelize, but that thing that we give that's precious, that's true, that's sacred to a hard heart, that's offensive and that's why they turn around and devour you. So the reality is we have to discern and know who's who. Hear me very clearly. I am not saying don't evangelize. Don't leave here today and say, Pastor Kendra said I don't have to witness. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we have to understand the assignment and ask God whose field is ripe for the harvest that he's sending us to. See, here's the thing. A lot of times we spend time, money, effort that we can't get back trying to evangelize that one person with a hard heart and a hundred people with an open heart that just want to be made a vessel walk right past us and we don't see them. See, some of you have a baby right now because you tried to evangelize that dude who told you at the beginning, I don't believe in monogamy. No judgment. Some of you are paying off a loan for a vehicle that wasn't even yours, that you never drove because you tried to evangelize a hard-hearted person and all they did was trample on your good work. Discernment. See, here's the thing. Believe people when they tell you and show you who they are. In the kingdom and outside of the kingdom. Because we got some holy pimps in the kingdom too. I digress. My apologies. <laughs> Here's the thing. Jesus simply says this to us. Do not be naive in our choice of people who we share the riches of the gospel with. Don't be naive. See, I'm in the marketplace all day, every day. And I recognize that most of the people I'm surrounded with do not want to hear the gospel. So you say, well, then how do you navigate that? My life. 
I try to let my life works and my fruit speak louder than anything that comes out of my mouth. So I'm not surprised when someone grabs me quietly to say, hey, can you pray with me in this room? When they call me in the room, they're not asking for the VP of academic affairs. They're asking for the pastor. So we've got to be able to discern where Jesus is calling us because there are some people and some groups who are hostile to the things of the gospel. See, one group that's hostile to the things of the gospel are deconstructionists. See, deconstructionists are those who tend to have a hard heart towards God. Now hear me, if you have gone through something, I'm telling you it's okay to deconstruct your faith as long as you have people around you to help you reconstruct it. The problem with deconstructionists is that not only do they want to step away from the faith, they want to pull everybody with them. And that's not God. The second group of people who tend to have a hard heart towards God are those who are part of the cancel culture movement. See, those who are part of the cancel culture movement, they tend to be both anti-grace and anti-God. See, when I was canceled in 2020 and 2021, I had to navigate through that. And there were lots of things I wanted to say. But I couldn't say anything at all, thus letting the fruit of my life speak for me. And it was during that time, it was one of the toughest times in my life. Because every day I'd wake up and there'd be another post on a social media platform talking about me and my church and accusing me of being anti-LGBTQIA+, not knowing that I had walked with people all my life who were in the life. But it was during one of those toughest times, a young lady that Mo and I walked with, who was a lesbian at the time, who came to our church with her partner sometimes, And we said, y'all are welcome here, but understand that we're going to preach the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ unapologetically and flat-footedly. And over time, this person ended up giving their life to Christ, being baptized, and they sent me an email saying, Mo Boogie, that's what they call me. I don't know where I would have been if it wasn't for the love and the kindness of your husband walking me through that season. I just want to tell you thank you. For some of us, God is saying, give up your comfort so that you can help someone else. The third group of people that can tend to be hostile to the things of God are humanist and hedonist. Humanist and hedonist. Why? Pleasure is their God. And then lastly, narcissists tend to be hostile to the things of God because they think they God. If you ever want to know if you are with a narcissist or surrounded by a narcissist or potentially about to date or marry a narcissist, look at their social media. This is proven scientifically. This is not me. If you go to someone's social media and every picture is... And you don't see nobody else. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit you have encountered a narcissist. (laughs) If you're in conversation with someone and they know it all, they can never, ever, ever be wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, 
you are in the presence of a narcissist. Run, Forrest, run. <laughs> These groups of people tend to be hostile to the things of God. So if you don't know and you walk into situations unaware, the word of God is saying you probably will end up being devoured because your good will be trampled upon. You hear me? But hear what it says in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 and 16. Our lives, as a Christ-like, our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. So hear me, Jesus, is, Jesus isn't saying to not share the good news of the gospel with hostile people, but what he's saying is that if you make a decision to share the good news, don't expect a decision. That's why the scripture says, one plants, one waters, and God always gives the increase. What I'm saying to you today is to, to not evangelize. We must evangelize. But I'm saying understand the assignment. Because for some of you, if you don't understand the assignment, you're going to go out there and zeal and evangelize and you're going to get devoured and then you're going to be bitter. Again, Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Zeal, excitement, exuberance should always be tempered by prudence. I say it this way. Don't let your ego drive you somewhere where God hasn't directed you. Wow. Don't let your ego drive you somewhere that God hasn't directed you. Because if you're ego driven in your evangelism, you're going to cause some damage. You're going to either end up being a Christian Karen or a Christian Karina. I don't know but you'll do some damage. Again, number two, if we're gonna bring lost people to a loving God, we've gotta understand this. God wants and needs our heart transformation because he's not in the business of behavior modification. God, he wants our heart transformation, not behavior modification. Hear me. Guess what sinners do? Sin. They sin. Good class. Dogs bark, cats meow, players from the Himalayas play, and sinners sin. But a lot of times when sinners sin, especially for those of us who feel like we're called to, to reach the lost, we grab our pearls like, oh, they sin. That's what they do. And guess what? When I was sinning, I sinned constantly, consistently, premeditatedly. Y'all did too. <laughs> but that's what sinners do. So we can't practice the ministry of amazement like, oh my goodness, they sinned. What are we going to do? We're not judging them. That's God's job. We are loving them and we are reaching them as Jesus leads us to understand the assignment. What am I getting at? At the bedrock of our Christian faith is Ephesians. And in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says this. For by grace, you have been saved. 
And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that anyone may boast. Meaning we cannot save ourselves. No matter how many good works we do, it is not enough to save ourselves. So we have to be careful when we're telling sinners to change their behavior because behavior alone cannot save them. The reality of the situation is perhaps we in the body of Christ have to rethink our evangelism. Maybe we have to rethink our evangelism so our evangelism lines up with our theology. If we are saved by grace through faith alone, it's not a ministry of good works. See, I love what Jackie Hill Perry says in Gay Girl, Good God. She says this, homosexuality might have been my loudest sin, but it was not my only sin. God was not about setting me free from one form of slavery only to leave me enslaved to other idols. By calling me to himself, he was after my whole heart. His intention was to turn it toward him and transform it as only he could, enabling me to be holy in how I express my sexuality and everything else. When God saves, he saves holistically. So my repentance would not be singular. That night, I knew that it wasn't just my lesbianism that had me at odds with God. It was my entire heart. Again, God does not need our behavior modification. He wants our heart transformation because when he gets our whole heart, whatever it was that we were in, we will fall away from it because his love is so overwhelming. See, the reality in the body of Christ is we focus on the sin and understand we forget all the other sins attached to that sin. Meaning, oftentimes when we're trying to reach someone, we're like, you need to stop smoking. You need to stop vaping. You need to stop this. You need to stop that. But that's works-oriented. But have you ever asked someone, how's your heart? Do you know that we serve a loving, kind, generous God that can heal your heart? So we've got to understand that we have an opportunity here to let our theology and our evangelism line up for the goodness of God and the truth of his word. Because I don't know about you, when I was lost, when I was sinning, I was having a good time sinning. So the thought to coming into a church for almost an hour and a half every week, mm mm-mm. Nah, and I got to sit around people that I don't know that could be smelly. Nah, and you want me to give some money, some of my hard-earned money? Nah, meaning we don't necessarily make the gospel compelling, so why would they come? And the reason why a lot of us don't make the gospel compelling is because we don't want to tell our real story of salvation. I OD'd. I flatlined. 
I woke up in a hospital. I didn't even know my name. And there was a nurse praying over me who offered me the gift of salvation. And that's why I'm here. We don't want to tell that. I was a hoe. I was a chief hoe. And I slept with anything moving, married, single, in between. And one day, I got convicted of that. And Jesus saved me. We don't want to tell that story. We want to be like, blessed and highly favored, come to my church. They cool. You know, the pastors are fly. Da, 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 da. None of that matters in the kingdom of God. What you should be telling people is that this church, we, treat, we preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are scripture-based. We are foundational-based. We want you to be disciples of Jesus Christ, not dependents on people. If we told our real stories, you think we'll have overflow and overflow now? We wouldn't have any room in here, and that's the plan. Because our prayer and our senior leadership team, our prayers to take over this entire block. See, we knew when we came here, we were already going to outgrow it. But we came because we believed God wanted to put an anchor of victory in the city. But we can't do it alone. And that's why I'm saying we have to understand the assignment. We have to encourage people to not engage in behavior modification, but heart transformation. Why? Because the pews, the ecclesia, the church has to do this as well. And then the last thing, if we're going to bring lost people to a loving God, is we have to ask, seek, and knock. Ask, seek, and knock. In Matthew 7, Chapter, verses 7 and 8, it says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. We've got to ask. Why? Because we have to discern who's who. See, Charles Spurgeon, he says it this way, you are not to judge, but you are not to act without judgment. You're not to judge, but you're not called to act without judgment. So as pastors, we get asked questions all the time at the door, and we love it. And sometimes we have answers, Sometimes we have to say, listen, I don't know. We don't know. Let us get back to you. But let me invite you into a few questions that were asked periodically at the door. One of the questions Mo and I are asked at the door is this. Should I evangelize at the strip club? And that's a good question. But what I'm telling you is to go back to the word in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, and ask, seek, and knock for yourself. Ask God. Ask Holy Spirit. Ask Jesus to illuminate and give you some of those pearls of wisdom about whether or not you're supposed to evangelize at the strip club. Another question we're asked at the door is should I attend that drag show to show my support of the LGBTQIA community? And what I'm saying to you is to ask, seek, and knock. See, your evangelism field might be different from my evangelism field. So I can't tell you what to do based upon who and what God has called me to because I could send you out there to be devoured. But if you're asking God for that wisdom, if you're seeking his truth and you're knocking on the door, he'll open the doors that only you can walk through for the harvest. Yeah. 
See, we always want the pastors to tell us what to do. What is your heart telling you to do? What is Holy Spirit hovering on you to do? See, because what happens is we, if we listen to what the pastor is saying, if it doesn't go as planned, we could be mad at them. But if we're listening to what Jesus is saying, even as Pastor Jamal prayed earlier, even if it's painful, it's probably necessary. See, I remember a few years back, our pastor told us to adopt, our former pastor. Because we were asking, because we were at a crossroads. Anybody, you've been in that place where you want children and you're desperate. And you've done all the things right. I mean, we came in on broken pieces, but we did not consummate our marriage before we said I do. We were struggling, though. And that's why we had that love and accountability. I'm being honest with you. But we were desperate for children. Desperate. Desperate. And we were asking our pastor, what should we do? What should we do? And I'll never forget the day our pastor said, adopt. God's already spoken. Six months later, our pastor was dead. Twelve months later, he got fired from his job. And had we adopted, we would have had a baby with no child care because we were asking a man, not asking the father. Now, God bless our former pastor. I love him. I honor him. But I want you to understand that even pastors and even elders in the church and even faithful leaders in the church, if we don't understand who to ask, we'll ask amiss and miss it. Here's the thing. Those are just a few of the questions we're asked at the door. There's lots more. But as I said a little bit earlier, more than answering a question about should I do this or shouldn't I do this, what I try to do every day in my life, being in the marketplace, is I try to live a life that my silence speaks louder than my words. That people can look at the body of evidence that is my life. And when they call me to pray, I can pray because they know I understand the assignment, whether they believe in the things of God or not. Believe me, I've had atheists ask me to pray and I have said yes. I have people who've been mad at me and offended at me that did me wrong, that when they ask me to pray, I pray. And it's not just about prayer. For some of us, as we're endeavoring to enter into this field of evangelism where we don't judge the world, we love the world, some of us are going to have to ask God for forgiveness because our hearts are just a little hardened. And here's the thing. You can't give a lost and dying world stale food. For some of us, we need a fresh anointing to reach the lost. Because you're not physically passing out a track, but you got your ABCs of salvation down pat. And when I'm telling you it worked five years ago, it worked six months ago, but it's not going to work for the field that's out there today. Here's the thing. Let us not be like the European Christians that when Gandhi went to worship because he fell in love with Jesus, they told him, hey, man, worship with your own kind. 
So much so that there's a famous quote from Gandhi where he says, I love your Jesus, but I don't like your Christians. Let us not be those people. Let us be the people that Charles Spurgeon says this. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap into hell, pardon me, over our dead bodies. Let me say that again. If sinners be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exhortations and let not one go unwarned and unprayed for. Now, some of y'all are like, all right, Pastor Dr. Kendra, that's old English. I don't know what Spurgeon is saying here. Let me tell you what Travis Green and Fort City say in Track Record 2.0. If you want to see his track record, look at me. We have history. He put his name on me. He put his name on me. I was a sinner, thought it was over. I put his name on it, and he put his name on me. I was a label, no identity, but he put his, I put his name on it, and he put his name on me. I was a beggar. I was an orphan. I put his name on it, and he put his name on me. Listen, y'all, we have an opportunity today to live out the mandate, the foundational scripture that's written in this sanctuary that is Victory Church, all four locations and online. Our foundational scripture is Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. But if we're going to be his witnesses, because Holy Spirit is ready, he's willing, and he's able to do it right now. If we're going to be his witnesses, we have to understand the assignment. We have to encourage people to heart transformation. And we have to continually ask, seek, and knock. Because the reality is, just like I needed Jesus, there are millions of people around the world, hundreds of thousands, even in this three to five mile radius, that need Jesus. And for a lot of them, they're not coming into a church building. So we've got to ask the Lord to strengthen us again, renew us again, anoint us again. So we can be the hands and the feet of Jesus wherever we go. At the grocery store, at the library, in the pickup line, online as you're taking your grad school courses, with your family, with your friends, sometimes even with ourselves. So today I just want to extend two invitations to you. Mo and I have been the pastors of Victory Midtown a little over five years. And I was telling a friend of ours 
that God knew that if he didn't snatch us out of where we were because we had church hurt, we'd be those Christians, you know, you go to church once a month and you go to the most popular church. You know, you pay your tithes because that's just what you do, right? But we'd probably be out golfing every other Sunday of the month. He'd be making a lot of money because money is attracted to him. But we would not be walking in the principles of God. So in 2018, God snatched us. Because for a year we wandered in the wilderness. And we were going to church. And we had accountability around us. But what God was really calling us to, we didn't want that smoke. Because we had seen so many pastors, so many leaders who preach one thing up here and their life is a raggedy hot mess outside. And we said, God, if we're going to do this, then we're going to do it in truth. We're going to do it in integrity. We're not going to lose our family saving a church and we're going to hell. And every day we get up and we ask God for the grace to do this because it's not easy, especially in this world. But my first invitation is that if Victory Church, any of the locations, and for those of you watching online, if in any way, shape, or form, Victory Church has blessed you, I want to invite you to begin to evangelize by being active on social media. And here's the ask, sharing the good news of the gospel that you're receiving through Victory and your online platform. See, Victory is one of the largest, if not the largest, multiracial church in the world. We have over 162 nations who worship together every single weekend. But because Victory likes to focus on the things of God, we are one of the best kept secrets in the world. Again, you guys get excited and you clap it up when we say we've given over $80 million in 33 years to mission. Who else has done that? But people won't know if we're not telling the story. So I want to invite you to share. The second thing I want to invite you to do is bring a friend back next week. I told you our prayers to take over this entire complex. How many of you want to phone a friend, but then you talk yourself out of it? I want you to invite a friend. And that means you might have to inconvenience yourself because you might have to go pick them up and you might have to go out of your way my friend Adrian drove over an hour to be with me today that's a friend my sister surprised me today I looked around and said okay that's a friend you pass people in your same subdivision that you know they need Jesus because whenever they come over to borrow flour and chicken <laughs> Talking about, you got any greens too? You're like, man, you need Jesus. Because they need a miracle in their lives financially. And that's why we have financial peace and other opportunities. So bring a friend. Next week, and especially the week after, because we're starting a new series entitled, Look Both Ways. And for some of us, that's all we need is a reminder. So this is how I want to close today. I want to invite you to stand up on your feet. Pastor already flipped the script. He did the call for salvation. 
So I just want to speak a blessing over you. And if you're in this room and you, after all you've heard today, you want to give your life to Christ because you didn't come down during the altar call or you want to re-up and rededicate your life to Christ today, I want to invite you to partner with our prayer leaders who will be down here after service. And say, that's me. I want to re-up. I want to give my life to Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your sweet presence in this room. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I pray beyond anything in my flesh, your spirit speaks loud and equips and empower us to take that next step to be your disciples. Father, let us understand the assignment and give us the gift of discernment to know where to go and who to go to. Father, let us remember our old sin selves so that we don't judge through behavior modification, but we, be, we are those who usher people into heart transformation. And Father, in all things, I pray that we will ask, we will seek, and knock, trusting that you will give us the wisdom and the answers that we need. Lord, bless your people this afternoon. I pray for divine revelation. I pray for holy boldness, Father. And Father, I pray for increase, that for every soul in this room that wants it, there are at least 100 souls attached to your yes and to your name. And I thank you that the trail of victory of those who give their life to Christ will follow you everywhere you go. And they'll give Yahweh all the praise, honor, and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.